you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake, for it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off, from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you, or make mention of the names of their gods, or swear by them, or serve them, or bow to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations, and as for you, No man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you, and make marriages with them, so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God and thanks for this opportunity to open God's word together. Uh, Hope you enjoyed the extra hour sleeping. Gives me an extra hour to preach. Hope you enjoyed the Mario Kart intro. It is Palm Sunday, so we thought we'd put something together special for you. I hope you've been encouraged. You've been encouraged as we've journeyed uh, through the book of Joshua. Uh, It's a story of epic battles. Uh, We've uh, slayed some giants. We've seen walls come down, some incredible miracles. Uh, But at its heart, the story of Joshua is a story of God's faithfulness to his people. 
It's a story of God's faithfulness to His people. And in the midst of that faithfulness, there is a call to us all, which we heard Charlotte and Natalia share so passionately. There's a call for us to step away from compromise and embrace courage. There's a call for us to to not walk and live in our doubts, but be a people of surrendering and dependence. There is a call for us to not live in defeat, but step forward in victory. And as I was uh, reflecting uh, on today's final uh, few chapters, I was reminded of one of the great victories in my own life. Uh, Many years ago, when I had way too much time on my hands, I was a big fan of EA Sports. Does anyone know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about EA Sports? Okay, a few brave hands. EA Sports is a series of sports video games for people who like playing sport from the comfort of their couch, right? Do we have anyone here who owns an Xbox? One hand, any PlayStation owners, Nintendo Switch? Anyone else who doesn't have a real life? Just raise your hand. Right, so I was way, this is like early 20s, I was like deep into every EA sports game, but my favorite game of all was Madden. Whoa, voice is breaking. <laughs> Take them back to puberty. All right, there we go, Madden, there it is. Right, favorite game was Madden, NFL. Uh, now, I should tell you, I had never, ever played American Gridiron. In fact, at this time, I'd never seen a full game of American Gridiron, but I absolutely loved playing this game. You get to choose a team. Uh, I chose, as you can see there, maybe you don't know, Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, and uh, the goal is to kind of win as many games, play the whole season, win as many games as you can, and hopefully make the playoffs. And here's the real fun bit. You can create your own player, right? You can make their size, their strength, their skills. So I set up the team, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I decided to make one star player. And what do I name this star player? Guy Mason, right? And so I make him six foot 11, right? Uh, You know, legs the size of tree trunks, arms like Chris Hemsworth. I mean, the dude was jacked. And you can play with their, like their skill setting. And so most elite players are like 80, 85, not Guy Mason, 100% stamina, 100% speed, 100% power, 100% awesome, Right? I don't like to brag, but Guy Mason was the best in the league. He was hands down amazing. So we get into the games, and would you believe it? We're winning. We're, like, we're silencing the critics. We're defeating the, the, the best teams. And after months of devotion and discipline and hard work with my thumbs, we make the Super Bowl. We, oh, come on. That's a, that's a special moment right there. Come on. Early 20s. I know some of you, like great sporting athletes, maybe you won gold somewhere. This was like that, only way more significant. So I set up the lounge. I don't want any distractions. I'm playing. This is the Super Bowl, right? It's it's this huge moment. I've got my mates praying for me, and we get on in. And it's a tight game, right? It's a tight game. But then tragedy strikes tragedy strikes. News across the stadium spreads that one player has pulled a hamstring and cannot go on in the game. Do you know what one player was pulled out of game in the Super Bowl? Six foot 11, arms like Thor, Guy Mason is out. They were devastated. The players 
were devastated. Fans in the stadium were crying. There were riots in Pittsburgh, right? It was terrible. And I knew in that moment, as tempting as it was to throw my controller at the TV, I had to bring the team together and help them see that the game is bigger than just one person. Guy Mason had carried them so far, but now was the time to rally together. And so they could choose. They could walk away. They could give up. Well, they could lean in, they could rally together, they could claw their way back inch by inch. You know what happened that day? The Steelers went on, they took the game into extra time, and the last field kick with three seconds left, and the Steelers won. Come on, come on. Greatest sporting achievement of my life. Some of you are like, what on earth does this have to do with Joshua chapter 3? This has nothing to do with it. And some of you may be right. But what you need to realize is that when we open the Bible to Joshua chapter 23 and this final episode in this epic journey, is that Israel discovers that their star player, Joshua himself, can go on no more. Right? There's a game to be won. There's a battle to be fought. But Joshua can no longer continue. And so the question here that is facing us is, what will Israel do? How do they, how do any of us continue to go forward when those we look to, those we admire, are no longer on the playing field? We have three, three episodes to mark this closing chapter. Here's the first one, Act 1. Look back to move forward. If you've got a Bible handy, come with me to Joshua 23 because we're going to look back to move forward. Verse 1, this is what we read. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake, for it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Joshua, as we hear repeated in this section, is well advanced in years. He started his journey with Israel when he was 80. At this point in the story, the dude is nearly 100 or just over 110 years of age. That makes him what? Old, right? He's so old. His birth certificate says expired. He's he's old. And we want to underscore that because our culture loves to idolize youth as the pinnacle of uh, opportunity, the pinnacle of human existence. It's why tragically you have people who are as old as 30 looking in the mirror saying, my life is over. But what do you see in Joshua? What have we seen throughout this series? We see an old man whose most significant years in life began when he was 80. 40 years wandering in the wilderness, the age of 80, God taps him on the shoulder and says, now is the time. Now is the time. He may have been hobbling, he may have had false teeth, but at 80, God taps him on the shoulder and says, now is the time. What's the point? You should never Here's the point. You should never let age be a barrier to God's blessing. You should never let age be a barrier to God's blessing. 
Some of you may feel you're too old. Some of you might even feel you're too young. In the end, those, those categories do not matter to God because God doesn't look at the outward appearance like man does. God looks at the heart. Never let age be a barrier to God's blessing. The other point is the way, note this, that Joshua uses his life to glorify God. Even in his last days, right? When you're reading this, you need to realize death is knocking at his doors. He's got one foot in the grave. But even still, even when his body is weary, even when he is tired, he's not sprawled out on the couch moaning and complaining and grumbling. He is still pouring himself out for the glory of God. I want you to think about that. Think about what you would be doing when you're 80, 90, or 110. I know what the world wants me to be doing. Cruise ships, right? Endless rounds of golf, watching wheel, uh, deal or no deal, right? The world's going to tell you, hey, work 50-some years, and then once you've done slaving away, you're going to have a few short years to pour into yourself, that's what you got to do. Take whatever super you have and do whatever makes you happy. You know what makes Joshua happy? You know what makes old man Joshua happy? It's gathering together with God's people and preaching God's word. Right now, don't mishear me. I'm not saying retirement's evil. I'm not saying playing golf. I know a lot of I play golf. Nothing evil about playing golf. But I want us to be intentional with the life that we have. Right? I hope, speaking of myself, that when I get old and well advanced in years, I'm not slumped on some couch. I'm gathering together with God's people and preaching God's Word. I hope to see a church that is just as passionate about knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. I'll preach my own funeral if they let me. Right? We exist, City on a Hill, to know Jesus and make Jesus Known. Joshua, he's old, he's well advanced in years, but he ain't bitter and twisted. He's spending his dying days pointing God's people to the glory of God. Look to verse 2. He says, I'm now old, well advanced in years, and you, listen, you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake, for it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Joshua knows his days are numbered, and he's eager for Israel to go forward without him. But notice where he starts. To help God's people move forward, he starts by calling Israel to first look back. You've seen the Lord deliver you out of Egypt. You've seen how the Lord brought down the walls of Jericho and gave us the land of promise. You've seen how the Lord protected us in battle and how the sun stood still. You have seen this. Why does Joshua call Israel to look back? Because Joshua knows that people can become very, very forgetful. We forget God. And when we forget God, we are prone to forsake God. 
We actually see this, you know, in, in the very next book in the Bible, the book of Judges, right? If you want to read something over the Easter break, just dive into Judges and see how the story goes, because there God's people are now in the land of promise, And yet, tragically, we watch them, despite having everything from God, you see them spiral downwards into a pit of their own sin and destruction. And so you read this and you say, how come Israel, they're in the promised land, can descend into brokenness? How can any of us, even though we have so much, spiral into futility? And this big question kind of hangs over the book of Judges. And the Bible says, why did they sin? Here it is, because Israel forgot the Lord their God. This is so important when it comes to your faith. Your battle with sin isn't fundamentally an issue with liquor, sex, or greed. You don't have an issue with porn. You don't have an issue with alcohol. You don't have an issue with jealousy. The real issue is your forgetfulness. In sin, you forget God's power. You forget His love, you forget His goodness and His faithfulness. And when it comes to the spiritual realm, forgetfulness is the gateway drug to forsakenness. It's why one of the most important things you can do for your own spiritual courage is to dwell in God's Word and bring to mind His goodness, His faithfulness to preach to your own heart, look at what the Lord did. Look at the way He parted those seas. Look at the way He brought down the walls of Jericho. Next weekend marks a historic moment for this church and churches across the world. But I want you to know that Easter is so much more than this religious holiday. We are going to gather to look back and remember the goodness of our God. We're going to gather to look back and see that amidst all of the craziness in our life and in this world, we can see a faithful God who loved this world, who stepped into this world, who died for this world, who rose victorious in this world. We remember this. And in the remembering of the promises of God, our minds are engaged, our hearts are enlarged, and our lives are ready to step out in courage. What if you were to heed the words of Joshua today and take time, even as I preach, to bring to mind God's goodness, to bring to mind the the moments in your own journey where you have seen His faithfulness, You've been faithful to me, God. Even though I was walking on the edge, even though I was descending into sin, you were faithful to me. You pursued me. You loved me. And I see that love so vividly in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. It is His faithfulness in our past that fuels our courage for the future. This leads to Act 2, the road ahead. Look to verse 4. He says, Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out 
of your sight, and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Now, we've touched on this throughout this series, but it's important to note again the tension here between the now and the not yet. The tension between a promise given and the promise received. Israel, at this point in the story, have come so far. They're no longer in the wilderness. They're now standing in the land of promise. God has given them Jericho. God has given them Ai. God has given them Merom and Hazar. They have come so far. They have received so much. But here is Joshua helping them see that the story of God and their story as God's people is not yet over. The mission is not yet complete. There is still more for God's people to see and do. In the same way, the Bible tells us in the New Testament that we who are in Christ have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. God has not given us a part of His blessing or a piece of His blessing. In Jesus, we have the fullness of God's life, the fullness of Christ's righteousness, the fullness of His living hope. And yet, don't you find that there's often a tension here between the now and the not yet? A gap between what God has given you and what you're now walking in. And so what do you do with that gap? Throw your hands up in the air and just say, look, that's how it's always going to be? No. We are the children of the promise who are called to walk by faith. Just as Joshua called God's people to now step forward into God's promise, so we who are in Jesus are called to step forward into the fullness of Christ's glory and His goodness. Instead of dwelling in the land of guilt and shame, you, by faith, are to step forward and embrace the goodness of God's grace and the mercy which is anew every day. Instead of dwelling in the land of your insecurity and fear, You are to arise every morning and say, I'm a child of God. I've been crowned with the righteousness of Christ. Instead of being held back in the land of fear, we are people who hunger and are known for and are embracing and diving deep into the love of God. And it is important to note here, City on a Hill, that this call to keep moving forward into God's promise is not just for us alone. God has given us His promise and His blessing, but He has given it to help advance His kingdom and herald light across the world. Do you remember at the beginning of the series why the Lord had sent Israel into Canaan. The nations in Canaan were notoriously evil. They were plagued by their own sin, their own depravity, their own selfishness, their own idolatry. And the Lord raises Israel up to push back that darkness with His light. 
That's what Joshua is calling them to do. Yes, it's about their inheritance. Yes, it is about the promise of God and his blessing for them. But the goal was never just to occupy the land. The goal was always to step into battle and drive evil out. Now, I do appreciate there's some distance between the days of Joshua and ours, but I hope you can see that this mission of light over darkness is just as relevant now as it was back then. We are living, City on a Hill, in what the Bible calls the last days. Days where the rise of evil and darkness is real. It's powerful. I mean, just this week, we heard that tragic news of a 28-year-old who walked into a Christian school and pulled the trigger on six innocent people, three of which were children aged nine. That's demonic. Jesus comes to give life. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So our battle is not against flesh and blood here. Our battle is against the powers and principalities that rage war against God's creation and God's people. And so the Lord does not want you to sit with apathy and indifference when it comes to evil and darkness in this world. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples, mirroring Joshua just before he led, so left, so Jesus gathered his people and he gave them a crucial message, a message to help them drive out evil. And what does he say? He says, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And behold, I'll be with you to the ends of the age. Go and make disciples disciples. That is our core mission, our core conviction. Do you want to push back evil in this world? Do you want to fight for justice? Do you want to do something that makes the earth shake and echoes throughout all eternity? Jesus says, herald the good news. Tell people about my death for their sin. That in him there is now no condemnation. Tell them about my victory over the death. That when the devil was snarling, I rose victorious. I defeated him. I defeated sin. I defeated death. And now there is life for all who call on me. Herald that. That's how you push back darkness. You don't push back darkness with darkness. You push back darkness with light. And there is no greater light, no brighter light than the light of Jesus. Amen? We are people of the light. I love this quote by Spurgeon, old school, so good. He says, the preaching of Christ, get this, is the whip that flogs the devil. The preaching of Christ is the thunderbolt, the sound of which makes all hell shake. Here's a wild idea. What if this week, in the lead up to Easter, you didn't just marvel at the resurrection for yourself, though it is for you to enjoy and dwell in. I encourage you for that. But what if you didn't stop there, but stepped out in faith to share the hope and the life 
that we have in Christ with someone else, a work colleague, a neighbor down the street, a mother, a father, a son, a daughter, a brother, a sister. God has placed, you know this, eternity on their hearts. You also know that the Lord desires that none shall perish. And I can tell you at Easter, the devil is working double time to try and push anyone back, to hold anyone back, to push them down. What if you were to say no? What if you were to say, I'm actually going to pray for that one person. I'm going to pray that God stirs in their heart. I'm going to invite them to join me Easter weekend. Right? This is not just theory. This is something practically we can each do. Send them a text today. Give them a call this week. They may say no. That's okay. They may say yes. There was a study that actually came out this week I was reading that said, Australian study, 42% of all Australians would say yes to an invitation to an Easter service. That's not maybe true of every other week, but Easter, there's something special in the air. What if you, what if each of us was personally to resolve in our heart right now? to invite someone to hear of the beauty, truth, and relevance of Jesus. If you don't know what to say, that's okay. Maybe you say, hey, you remember that church that was like super controversial and the pastor said something controversial? Apparently, he's going to say something even more controversial on Easter. Because there ain't anything more controversial than that it's an empty tomb and Jesus is alive. Amen? Step out in faith, right? I don't care if you fumble. I don't care if they say no, get in the game. Step out in courage. Give it a go. If the Lord can bring down the walls of Jericho, who knows what he could do in the heart of your work colleague, your friend, your boss, your neighbor. Third and final point as we land this, I want to talk about the way of obedience. So verse 5, Joshua says, The Lord your God will push them back before you, drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with those nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them but you shall cling to the Lord your God just as, you, just as you have done to this day. Joshua, he's, he's reminded God's people of the faithfulness of God. And despite him leaving the game, he's urging them to keep going. Fulfill the promise. Take hold of all that God has for you. He's going to fight for you. But as was the case in the beginning, so the case stands that the success of the mission ahead ain't resting on their military strength or their military strategy. In the end, what's going to be most important is their obedience. You are to keep God's Word. You're not just to study it and know it. You've got to study it, know it, and then live it. You've got to obey the Word. And this promise 
it comes with a severe warning. Check this out. He says, Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your side and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. And then in verse 16, if you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given you. Now, I suspect some of you may have noticed the specific command about marriage uh, in verse 12. Uh, Joshua says to Israel that when it comes to the other nations that inhabit the land, they're not to make marriages with them. And there have been a few morons throughout church history who've sought to use a text like this to suggest that God is against interracial marriage. Uh, And I say moron quite deliberately because it's not only uh, offensive but inaccurate. For a start, it's important to know uh, that the people of Canaan are not a different race. Uh, In God's economy, there is only one race, the human race. And so we're talking about one big family. Uh, In the case of the Canaanites, we're actually talking about people who descended from Noah's son, Ham, whereas Israel descends from Shem. One was chosen by God to be his light. The other rebelled from God into darkness. And so this has nothing to do with race and everything to do with God's promise and the faithfulness of his people. And so then you ask, well, how does this command from Joshua about marriage apply to us today? Well, at one level, it's telling you to be wise about who you marry, because marriage isn't just about finding love, it's a lifelong covenant where two become one. If you choose to marry... And marriage is not for everyone, but if you choose to marry, the goal is to share your life, dreams, aspirations, prayer, vision as one. One marriage, one purpose, one faith, right? If that oneness isn't grounded in the gospel, you will either cheapen the depth of that relationship or you'll push Jesus to the margins. So if you're looking to marry, you should only be looking for someone who shares and supports your faith. Uh, Vanessa and I have been married now just over 20 years. Yeah, we were married when we were, thank oh, yeah. Married when we were 12, so uh, we're doing good. And I love my wife, and uh, she's beautiful in so many wonderful ways, but you know what matters most to me? You know what give us, gives us the anchor? It's her faith. So last week I saw her in her devotion. Let me tell you, nothing hotter than your wife reading her Bible. We've had hard seasons, of course. Um, you know, bringing two sinners together doesn't mean happily ever after. Uh, You need hard work, you need commitment, you need covenant. Uh, What anchors a couple? What's the the well you're going to go to in those hard times, those good times? 
Where will you find the grace you need, the compassion you need, the patience? It's Jesus. So listen, if you're married here today, uh, it's not a, and you might both be Christians, it's not a given that Jesus is going to be at the center of that. You've got to work for that. You've got to pursue that. You've got to prioritize that. You've got to invest in that. So let me encourage you to that. Right? None of us drift towards holiness, said Don Carson. So invest in that. Make that a priority. Evaluate. Yeah, is Jesus central? And if you are looking to marry, again, it's not for everyone. The Bible holds up singleness as a great gift for God. But if you are looking to marry, let me encourage you to look for someone who shares and will support your faith. It's not saying they need to be an all-star Christian. They didn't need to win the Bible trivia, heads up, hands down, stand up game before. But you're looking for someone who loves Jesus. Of course, what Joshua is saying in verse 16 is not primarily a lesson on the ethics of Christian marriage. It's fundamentally a call to surrender and worship of the one true God. Right, verse 16, you're not to serve other gods. You're not to get into bed with pagan idols. As Natalia said, we are to surrender ourselves completely, wholeheartedly to God and God alone. And God is telling Israel that in the land of Canaan, with all the other nations, there are going to be idols and they're going to be tempting for you. They're going to be offering things, right? Like one of the big gods was Baal. He, he controlled the weather in, and, and, and crops. In our day, that's like saying he controls the economy. Are you nervous about your financial pressure? Worship to that God. He'll take care of you. Uh, there was another god, Astaroth, I'm probably mispronouncing, doesn't matter. She was the goddess of romance and war. So if you're looking for love or you're battling or battling in love, <laughs> you lay a sacrifice. The bigger the sacrifice, the bigger the blessing. God's like, uh-uh, not for you. I am your God. You worship me alone. I will provide for you. I will protect you. I will look after you. It's not saying that everything's going to be easy. It's not going to say that things won't get difficult, but I got you. These other gods, they're going to be a snare to you. It looks appealing because everybody else is doing it, but they'll be a thorn in your side. They will lead to your judgment and your destruction. Now, of course, when we're reading the Old Testament, we read about worshiping idols. It's so easy to think of these primitive practices and forget the many idols that occupy our heart, that surround our life. There were temptations in Canaan, but there are temptations in Melbourne as well. This is another promised land. And there are things that you're going to face in your workplace, in your home, and in your heart. They're going to seek to draw you away from God and make you build your life on them. Good things. 
normal things, but all of a sudden, they become a God thing. I remember catching up with a uh, young girl at Starbucks, Starbucks on Swanson Street, and um, she's a very gifted dancer, and yet, and she wanted so desperately to be, you know, a star performer and a star dancer, and yet at the same time, she knew it was crushing her and, and eating her alive. And I remember saying to her, I said, has there ever been a time where you stopped dancing? And she said, I tried that for six months, and I felt like a nobody. The question for us when it comes to identifying the idols of our heart is, what do you look to to make you a somebody? What's the one thing you're anchoring your trust, your faith in, to give you the significance, the value, the meaning? Whatever occupies your mind, whatever captures your heart, whatever... What it fills you with the most joy, if that's not the Lord, then you're in the grip of an idol. And God calls you to complete surrender to Him. And here's what's really cool about Joshua, is he doesn't just want them to kind of be aware of these idols, or even name these idols, or he doesn't even say put those idols to death, though he could have said all of those things. What does he say? It's really, really important when it comes to dealing with the idols in our heart. What does he say? He says, verse 11, Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. Right? So dealing with, with, with idols and, and sin does require hard work and discipline, but fundamentally, this is a war of loves. Fundamentally, the way you deal with sin and idolatry is not by focusing on sin and idolatry, it's by focusing on God and loving Him and pursuing Him. Uh, one of these days, as the band comes on up, one of these days, I'd love to introduce you to a guy named David Bennett. Uh, I met Dave uh, years ago and was moved by his story of grace. He's actually written a brilliant book called The War of Loves, uh, where he shares his own journey of faith. As a teenager attending a Christian school, he awoke to the fact that he was attracted to men exclusively. And he said that when he finally kind of comes out and, and shares that at the age of 14, uh, he began to create distance from what he would have called as the fundamentalist types. He says this, I abandoned any positive view of Christianity and as a spiritually hungry teenager, dabbled and experimented with all sorts of new age spirituality. One day, ridden with curiosity, I visited a psychic in Newtown, as she read my cards and looked at me, she said I was a child of the light and was destined to be with Jesus. I was furious. <laughs> at university, he throws himself into political clubs and creative clubs, joins the queer collective, the labor left. Uh, he'd ripped down Christian club posters and he'd replaced them with queer collective posters over the top. But amidst his activism and his quest for love, God remained near. Uh, one night, uh, Dave, uh, David finds himself at a bar in Sydney. He says this, I saw a girl in a pub in the gay quarter of Sydney. I recognized her as a filmmaker and her work really spoke to me because it was about compassion, representing those with disabilities. She was using her gifts to promote something that wasn't all about her, to something about, uh, so something about her was automatically authentic to me. I asked her, how did you get your film into the largest short film competition in the world? And she said, 
God. I was grossed out. She asked, do you think there's a God? I said, Jesus is a good man, but I think he's an invented religion. She said, David, have you experienced the love of God? Because that's what really matters. She prayed for me, and I had an incredible encounter with God. I felt this tingling sensation, and it was like someone pouring oil over my head. The love of God just hit me, and I was weeping. But it was healing. It wasn't emotionalism. It was this deep, almost ache of intimacy that had been fulfilled. Did God's love make his life easy and without struggle? No. But in Jesus, he encountered a deep and abiding love that transcended all. He says, I'm not some weird, dried up, celibate person. I have life and life abundantly. This is the power of God. This is the God who has come to us in Jesus, who is so eager to pursue you, love you, and meet you in that deep, transformative way. So as I finish, I want to leave you with the call of Joshua, this famous passage that I hope God stirs in your heart. Verse 14, he says, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I want to give you a moment, City on a Hill, to reflect on that choice. A moment to reflect on who you are right now before God. Reflect on the many idols you are prone. Maybe you want to name them in your heart to the Lord. Confess that struggle to Him. And ask, Lord God, would you fill me now with that transformative love? A love that not only unearth those idols, but help me to choose you this day and every day. I'll give you a moment to reflect, to pray. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.